A small group gathers beneath the scorching heat of the Sahara to behold a masterpiece of desert technology. In one of the Earth's cruelest climates, daytime temperatures begin in the mid-80s and have climbed as high as 135 degrees. Here, a product of a thousand years of R&D will be unleashed with just three objectives. Locate, overtake, overpower. Prey will find no cover here, with no trees to climb, no lakes to swim, and no soil to burrow. These gazelles, hares, jackals, foxes, and large rodents rely on speed to elude predators. Here, it is the swiftest who are likeliest to prevail. For the Tuareg, semi-nomadic herders and traders descended from the Berbers, conventional hunting tools were useless when stalking quarry a half mile across desert sand. Instead, over untold generations, they bred the perfect speed machine, the Azawak. Named for the region's Azawak Valley, she's a sleek, swift canine hunter reminiscent of the Saluki or Slugi. And until just the last few decades, she was known only through rumor and hearsay beyond the world of the Western Sahara. She's bred to detect prey at great distance, not by scent, but by sight. And she's bred to move fast, north of 30 miles per hour. Antelope, hare, and wild boar are rarely a match for her. My name is Bud Bacone. Buckle up as we explore the world of sighthounds from Azawaks to Whippets, from Pharaohhounds to Salukis, indispensable desert hunters and guardians since antiquity. Sleek, swift, elegant, beloved, venerated by pharaohs and czars, and pound for pound, I'm pretty sure, faster than the first two cars I ever owned. Okay, the first three cars. Been dogs as long as there have been people. Cookies! This dog was going places. Fast. The American Kennel Club. Kennel Club. Take your dog down and back for me, please. Down and Back. Stories from the AKC Archives. This is the show for you. With Bud Bacone. This puppy has potential. Maybe it's a good thing for the Tuareg people and their beloved Azawaks that the Sahara remained in Western culture's blind spot for so long, give or take the odd piece in National Geographic. The irony is, more is known about the Tuareg and the Sahara than is known about the mysterious diplomat that helped introduce the Azawak to the non-Saharan world a half-century ago. He was Dr. Picar, who served as a Yugoslavian diplomat in the 1970s. We have no record of his first name, unless Doctor was what Mr. and Mrs. Picar named him. And never mind that Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. We do know that he was presented with a male Azawak as a gift from the Tuareg people. When he wanted to acquire a female for breeding, he did the tribe a solid and shot a rogue elephant that had been stirring up trouble. In thanks, they presented him with the second dog. The two would become the foundation stock for Azawak breeding in Europe. 
and though the rest of the world was late getting with the program, it's never too late to round out our look at the Ozawak with an AKC Breed biography. Maestro? Such was the value the Tuareg peoples placed on the Ozawak that it was often considered a fair, even-up swap for a camel, one of the higher denominations in northern African currency. And why not? Though, with the advent of firearms and the dwindling of its desert prey, the Azawak's value as a hunter declined. But he still has plenty to do as a guardian dog, protecting livestock such as camels and goats, essential for human survival in the Sahara. Azawaks meeting the breed standard might be body-shamed mistakenly by the uneducated. The caninification of lean, its bone structure and muscles are transparent beneath the skin, and three to five ribs can be seen. With its body length equivalent to 90% of its height, the Azawak presents a vertical rectangle shape. Its configuration would inspire a Formula One engineer from the long, lean, powerful legs and barrel rib cage, making room for plenty of lung power, tapering sharply to a Scarlet O'Hara waistline. A male on average might grow to 29 inches in height, yet weigh a mere 55 pounds, none of which should be mistaken for frailty. The Azawak is a tough, durable hunter, not prone to injury. The gait is very light almost as if floating. With an intelligence and heart to protect, this sighthound can be protective of humans it knows well and distant and reserved with strangers. Given its centuries of breeding for nomadic life, it's a good idea to start early socializing with other dogs and touching and training with human companions. Owners appreciate the easy grooming, lack of drooling, and no too low barking. There's plenty of evidence that the sighthound was a revered part of Middle Eastern life as early as 5,000 years ago. In what the Greeks would name Mesopotamia, we know that sighthounds, including Seleucis, were regarded with great importance. Witness just one of the artifacts, a solid gold pendant, portraying what is likely a Seleuci from the Sumerian city of Yurok, and dated to 3300 BC. It can be found today in Kuwait, in the Museum of... Hey, bud. Oh. Correction. You'll find it here, at the Louvre, in Paris. Fun fact. It was also the Sumerians who gave us the 60-minute hour and the 60-second minute. Dogs in ancient Mesopotamia were regarded as protectors, healers, and guides. Ishtar, multitasking as the goddess of love, passion, war, and fertility, and of lousy 80s film comedy, can be found depicted with her dogs held on leashes. Canines were also closely associated with Gula, the goddess of healing. That's healing with an E-A. Artifacts show her depicted with her dog, and ultimately the goddess herself was represented as a dog, seated with a collar which raises a lively issue in archaeology as to the origins of the dog collar. There's plenty of evidence that the ancient Sumerians used collars and leashes. There's also evidence that the Greeks not only developed collars, but created spiked collars to protect the necks of their hounds from a predator's bite. 
So, who invented the dog collar? It would seem the answer is yes. Various cultures may have done so independently of one another, as depicted in countless relics. Another example is the Mesopotamian golden dog pendant from 3300 BC. It portrays a dog, likely a Saluki with a curly tail and tall ears, proudly on display today at Iraq's Museum of... Psst. Hmm? Hmm. Here, in the Museum of Fine Arts, in Boston. Within some cultures, sighthounds were revered as more than powerful hunters and guardians. To Egyptian pharaohs and other muckety-mucks, they weren't just good. They were God. Okay, a God. In late November 1922, in Egypt's Valley of the Kings, archaeologist Howard Carter had himself a moment. The first human to breach the tomb of Tutankhamun in more than three millennia, his eyes strained to behold the 3,000-ish treasures entombed with the body of the boy king. Chariots, daggers, board games, trumpets, the king's throne, ivory and gold, lots of gold. Within the third of the Russian doll collection of caskets lay the body of Tutankhamun in the now iconic 22-pound gold mask. In that moment, Carter might be forgiven for not exclaiming, Forget the gold. Get a load of that ancient leather dog collar. Yep, and not just any dog collar. This one was a lovely thing, dressed with delicate applique. In fact, the tomb was rife with canine-themed treasures. There, among the murals in the tomb, were depicted the king on his chariot, flanked by his hunting hounds. And uh, a relief near the entrance suggests the aptly named Pharaoh Hound. More on that later. Artifacts included a small figurine of a canine with a gilded collar. Also found was a statue of the canine god Anubis, described by the Egyptian tourism website as life-size. You gotta be impressed that they would know that. Anubis is a different kind of working canine. In the earlier Egyptian dynasties, he was regarded as the god of funerals and caretaker of the dead, a gig he would lose in later dynasties to the god Osiris. The statue found in Tutankhamun's tomb portrays Anubis with a full canine body, though elsewhere he's portrayed as a man with a canine head. Yeah, I hear you asking, is Anubis a dog or a jackal? Some skew jackal because jackals had been known to root around cemeteries. Others believe he's a hybrid, which makes biological sense given that jackals and dogs can be crossbred. Those who regard Anubis, or at least his head, as a dog note his impressive resemblance to a Basenji. So, jackal or canine? Well, we're going to lean towards dog. Let the American Jackal Club get their own damn podcast. By no means was Tutankhamun the only Egyptian royal to revere dogs. They were a huge part of the great dynasties, evidenced by countless Egyptian artifacts, such as the terracotta toy dog, a tiny statue of a beloved dog eating a fish, on display right here in Cairo. Oh. On display right here in the British Museum. 
You're listening to Down and Back, stories from the AKC archives. As the Greek historian Herodotus recorded, so venerated was the hound by Egyptians that when the hound of a noble family died, the entire household would shave their whole body and also their head as a sign of mourning. On October 13, 1935, a decade and some after Howard Carter's big moment, an Egyptologist named George A. Reisner made a discovery of his own. While excavating near the west side of the Great Pyramid of Giza, he discovered an inscribed stone tablet which marked the grave of a dog, except it didn't anymore. It's believed the stone was part of a structure that had been demolished during a subsequent dynasty, and its materials used as what the Latins called spoila, stone taken from a demolished structure and used in construction of another. Still, the meaning of the inscription was clear. It was a tribute to a highly revered canine. Its name was Abutiu. The depiction suggests Abutiu was a sighthound, similar to a greyhound, with tall triangular ears and a curly tail. As in ancient Persia, sighthounds were highly esteemed in Egypt. Mummified dogs have been discovered in family tombs. The tablet and its inscription convey that Abutiu was given an especially elaborate send-off, on par with one reserved for the bluest of ancient Egyptian bluebloods. The glyph reads, The dog, which was the guard of His Majesty, Abutiu is his name. His Majesty ordered that he be buried ceremonially, that he be given a coffin from the royal treasury, fine linen in great quantity, and incense, His Majesty also gave perfumed ointment and ordered that a tomb be built for him by the gangs of masons. His Majesty did this for him in order that he, the dog, might be honored before the great god Anubis. It's known that he was a tesem, an ancient Egyptian catch-all term for hunting dog, which for our purpose could make him a pharaoh hound, an abizan hound, a saluki, or a slugi. And though Abatiu's resting place remains a mystery, he is perhaps the oldest known dog to have his name recorded. Countless artifacts from the ancient Middle East attest to the same human-canine bond we know today. Witness the bronze statue, not three inches high, of a Babylonian man, his hand resting on the back of the faithful hound seated at his feet. It drips with a two-best-friends vibe. You'll find it today, carefully preserved overseas in... Uh, did I say overseas? I meant... At New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art. There is also a Neo-Assyrian wall panel from about 640 BC, showing huntsmen leading their hounds with leashes, an item which I'm sure is lovingly preserved in the Middle East... section of the British Museum. Uh, Despite their ancient roots in the Middle East, sighthound breeds have thrived far afield, across the Mediterranean, and throughout Europe. Many for hundreds, even thousands of years. 
hence the pharaoh hound, an iconic dog of ancient Egypt, who a half-century ago was named the national dog of Malta. How can this be? There's only one explanation. Phoenicians. 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 Gesundheit. And yes, the Phoenicians. 2,500 years ago from their home in what is now Lebanon, the Phoenicians dominated Mediterranean trade, the Johnny Appleseeds of luxury goods. For the right price, Phoenicians provided what people loved. And then, as now, people loved dogs. In the past, we described how it was likely the Phoenicians were responsible for Maltese dogs coming to, you know, Malta. Popular theory has it that in ancient times, it was Phoenician vessels that landed the first pharaoh hounds there as well. Here's the thing about sidehounds. Many of the breeds still cherished today predate recorded history, and the Phoenicians cursed them probably weren't keeping records for future canine historians. So what we know about the pharaoh hound involves a lot of best guesses. Here's what we think we know. The story of sighthounds is the story of the oldest known domesticated dogs. The pharaoh hound is an elegant and rugged sprinting hound bred to course small game over punishing terrain. She makes a wonderful watchdog with excellent hearing and of course keen eyesight, with a tendency to bark when spying strangers, and no guff, she can also smile. The Pharaoh Hound Club of America reports that it's common to see her show every tooth in her mouth while wiggling her entire body. Not every Pharaoh Hound smiles, mind you, but every one can blush. When excited, the dog's ears and nose turn a rosy pink. The coat is a tight tan, with matching leather on the nose, ears, and eye rims. The eyes themselves are a striking amber color. In Malta, she came to be known as the Maltese Rabbit Hound, or Kelb Talfenek, which means dog of the rabbit. When hunting, the dogs work in teams, usually at night, and with enough stamina to give chase for hours. Like the Azawak, the breed is a latecomer to the UK and the Americas. It was in England in the 1960s that it was dubbed the Pharaoh Hound, and in 1967, the first of the breed reached the United States. Hop back on board. We have another port of call. It's okay. I packed the gravel. Okay, there to starboard. That's the Mediterranean island of Ibiza, about 93 miles off the coast of Valencia, as the... Yeah, it was there, during the 8th century, that the Phoenicians introduced a live and leggy visitor, perhaps as old as civilization itself the Abizan Hound. They, too, are counted among the oldest known breeds and populate their share of ancient Egyptian glyphs. Islanders prized these hounds, using them in packs to hunt rabbits. Victuals being scarce on the island, their success was often the difference between feeding one's family or going hungry. Now let's make a 180, just one more stop back in ancient Egypt. Back here in Tutankhamun's day, mere dogs, hear the air quotes, were okay for the great unwashed. 
but sighthounds were for the wealthy, the connected, and royalty itself. And of those, none were more revered than the world's fastest dog, the Greyhound. Make way! Look humble. Don't make eye contact. The lean beauty of the Greyhound has been an object of fascination for artists, poets, and kings for as long as humans have called themselves civilized. They are the templates from which other coursing hounds have struck. Though bred as an efficient hunter, the Greyhound is a gentle, noble, and sweet-tempered companion with an independent spirit. A paragon of optical engineering, Greyhounds have a 270-degree range of vision. They can see objects behind them and a half-mile in front of them. As with other sighthounds, their bodies are engineered to run with a rotary or double-suspension gallop, also used by cheetahs and three-pronged antelopes. As they run, the rear and front paws contact the ground one just after the other, with the body fully extended between strides, a pose that looks pretty snappy on the side of a bus. Granted, with an average height of up to 30 inches, the Greyhound, like its slightly larger cousin, the Irish Wolfhound, is among the full-size models. But not to worry. Sighthounds come in compact sizes, too. During the Victorian era, England's North Country coal miners enjoyed a good rabbit hunt on weekends, but couldn't afford to kennel large dogs such as greyhounds, and they certainly didn't have the space to properly exercise them, so they bred a smaller sighthound, the Whippet. Several inches smaller on average than the greyhound, the Whippet pound for pound is no less swift, clocking 35 miles per hour, hence its nickname, the poor man's racehorse. A robust, low-maintenance dog, whippets were introduced in the U.S. in the late 19th century, possibly by English mill operatives of Massachusetts. They were an instant hit. The fact that they rarely bark, well, that's just a bonus. And today, many of the sighthound breeds who captivated Egyptian royalty padded the pockets of Phoenician traders, charmed coal-mining families of England's north, and kept rabbit meat in the larder for generations of Mediterranean families, can be found here at the all-breed AKC Fast Cat Invitational. Fast Cat being an acronym oh, for... Oh, 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 yes, you in the back. The coursing ability test? Coursing ability test, yes. A 100-yard dash competition where dogs run one at a time chasing a lure. Champions here routinely reach speeds of 35 to 45 miles an hour, considerably faster than Usain Bolt's best. Though let's be fair, Mr. Bolt had a mere lifetime to train. Many of these sighthounds have been thousands of years in the making. Exalted in Egyptian palaces and revered in life and the afterlife by pharaohs, indispensable hunters helping feed generations of Saharan Tuareg, Ibizan islanders and coal mining families of Yorkshire and Lancashire, sighthounds live on in breeds beloved the world around. We know them as Basenjis and Irish wolfhounds, Salukis and Slugis, Thai Ridgebacks and Borzois proud, lean, and above all swift, 
They're as admired and loved today as they were in the court of King Amenhotep II, who reigned in 1500 BC, and whose beloved hunting dog, now mummified, lives on in the... Seriously. Here, at the Egyptian Museum in Tahrir. Hey, one in a row. Down and Back, stories from the AKC archives. Visit akc.org for more on all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow AKC on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at American Kennel Club. On Twitter at AKC Dog Lovers. And let us know what you thought of the show. And let us know what you thought of the show. If you're new around here, subscribe with your favorite podcast provider to catch up on this season and past episodes. Founded in 1884, the American Kennel Club is the recognized and trusted expert in breeds, health, and training. We advocate for responsible dog ownership and are dedicated to advancing dog sports. Research for Down and Back is provided by the AKC Library and Archives the only national repository dedicated to the sport and enjoyment of the purebred dog. Learn more about the collections at akc.org library. <sighs> There's always a wise guy.